You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are really glad that you're here. And uh, I'll tell you, I, I missed uh, not seeing you guys and uh, after our services for Christmas Eve. And then I wasn't here on the 1st. I was in the mountains of North Georgia. And, uh, and I'll tell you what's funny. We were tubing because they have snow up there. So we were tubing. And, uh, and I'm like, man, you know, you're in this place. Like, nobody knows you up, up there. And uh, anyway... We were there, a guy walks up to me in the mountains of North Georgia, and he says, Pastor Bob, is that you? And I'm like, what's up, man? Let's sled down together. And uh, so anyway, uh, now, I think we can all agree, as we get started, let's all agree that there are some questions that should never be asked. I hope that we can all agree on that. And, you know, well, Pastor Bob, knowledge is power, blah, 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 I know. But uh, there's some questions that just make life awkward. And if you have kids, you know that to be the case. A few years ago... I took my kids to Lion Country Safari, and, uh, which, you know, you stay in the car and you kind of drive around, and the animals even, like, come out onto the street, like, where you're, or the path and whatnot, and so, and it was a lot of fun, but there was this one moment that was very awkward, and it was right next to our car, there was this one wildebeest that decided to, forgive me, uh, mount the female wildebeest right next to our car. And then my daughter, Livy, who was four years old at the time, says, uh, Dad, what are they doing? And I'm like, oh, they're, uh, <laughs> yeah, funny enough, you know, uh, well, um, in the beginning. Um, and so, and then I just said, uh, ask your mother. And, um, and my son, Xander, uh, was just so great. He said, Livy, it's obvious uh, she's giving him a piggyback ride. And I'm like, Yes! That's what's happening. That's what's happening. And, uh, but there's, I'm telling you, there's questions that, you know, there's questions we ask that we don't even want answered. You ever ask somebody how they're doing? And then they told you? You have that like, hey, how you doing? Well, let me tell you. And they go into it and you're like, oh no. I was just trying to be polite. And, and that happens. Um, I, I was having a conversation with someone a while ago. And um, uh, now here's what happens is that sometimes people um, like, once again, I'm in the mountains of North Georgia. Somebody says, Pastor Bob, is that you? But there's uh, sometimes that people see me somewhere else and they just can't place me because they think I live here. Like, oh, don't you just live under the stage and then you come out? You know, you're like the, anyway. Um, uh, so, but, so they'll see me and they'll be like, wow, dude, you look so familiar, but I just can't place you. And so, so I had this girl, she walks up to me and she says, uh, you look so familiar where do I know you from? And I have this joke that I used to say whenever someone would say that to me. I would say, uh, they'd say, oh, where do I know you from? And I'd say, hey, have you ever been to prison? And, uh, and so, but this time I said that and, I, and she's like, where do I know you from? I'm like, oh, you ever been to prison? And the girl's like, well, it was a different time in my life. <laughs> and uh, I, <laughs> first, that's hilarious. Secondly, what she said wasn't hilarious. And then she walked away and never spoke to me again, and, which was sad but kind of relieving. And uh, because there's just, there's questions you don't ask. Like you don't ask someone if they've been to a state correctional facility in the first 30 seconds of meeting them, even if it's a joke. And, um, 
But there's another type of question that people ask, and this is the one we're going to spend some time uh, looking at. That is what's called the trick question. And this is where someone asks you a question, but, you know, they don't really care about your answer. They're simply trying to trap you or kind of prove how smart they are. And this is where Jesus is with the religious leaders in Jerusalem. He's shown up in Jerusalem, and if you've been with us, and I think this is message number 35 or so in the Gospel of Matthew, but Jesus has shown up in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. He's been teaching in the temple every day, and he's had these run-ins with the chief priests, with the religious leaders, and they aren't his biggest fan, for sure, and there's been some conflict. And so to prove their superiority over him and to show that they're the ones who are really, you know, thinking about the big things in life... They're going to pose three questions of him that are difficult to answer for sure to prove that they are the authorities. And uh, once again, people do that to this day. And uh, every now and again, someone will come to me and uh, they'll ask a question, especially if they're not a Christian, and uh, that they think, you know, they heard it somewhere. Oh, I've heard this on TikTok. Let me just share it. And uh, it's like, you know, can God make a rock so big that even he can't lift it? And uh, which the answer to that is no, by the way. And, uh, like, and then they're like, ah, you know, I trapped you in my linguistic trap. And uh, like, so you're saying that there's, God isn't all-powerful because there's something that he can't do. He can't li- make a rock so big that he can't lift it. And the answer to that, of course, is not being able to do something doesn't mean you lack power. There's several things that God can't do. God can't lie, the Bible tells us. God can't change, the Bible tells us. God can't fail. That's the answer to the rock question, by the way. God can't worry. Uh, God can't learn. You know why? Because he knows everything. That's why he can't learn and he can't worry. And, and you know what? God also can't stop loving you. That, that's, that's the other thing that's, that's true. Now, but here's the point, is that these trick questions, once again, you think about them for a minute and they have a relatively simple answer. The questions Jesus gets are, are, are difficult and we're going to spend some time looking at them. But here's what I think should give us some hope this morning, is that some of us came to church this morning with our own questions. We came to church this morning with our own thoughts of how 2023 should have started and how we want 23 to go and how we're hoping that everything kind of pans out. And we've got the questions in our hearts. And I think that as Jesus answers these questions, I think that it should give us some comfort that he's going to answer the questions that we have as well. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 15. It says, then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are true and you teach the way of God in truth and you do not care about anyone for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceiving their wickedness uh, and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So he brought, they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went on their way. Now, if you pause there, we're going to look at three questions today. The first one, if you are a note taker, is we're going to look at number one, the political question. And the political question is this, who do I belong to? Now, this is a sensitive topic because people in that culture were, were very upset because they were taxed very heavily. There was a lot of emotion attached to this issue. People are so different now. You know, back then, people didn't like paying taxes and giving the government a chunk of their money. We love it now. But back then, they were just not as sophisticated as, as we are. And um, 
But listen, I want you to understand, as they ask the tax question, it's not even really the question about taxes. Because if, if you notice the first verse, that they went, they plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. That's the goal here, is to entangle him, to get him to say yes or no, and then, oh, but you said, you know, said the wrong thing. And, and um, so there are just moments that we just need wisdom. We need the wisdom of Jesus in a, a tough situation. And um, now, let's talk about who's asking the question. There's two groups that are asking the question, all right? Group number one, if you're a note taker, is the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious conservatives of the day. Uh, this was the group that kept the law of God to the most minute detail. They believed that God was Israel's only true king, and to pay taxes was to concede to this pagan government. So they believe that if Jesus is saying yes to paying taxes, he couldn't be the Messiah because he was selling out to the Romans and those uh, who follow him would walk away. Group number two, if you're a note taker, was the Herodians. The Herodians were Roman collaborators. They were pro-Rome and actually were part of the government. So if Jesus says no uh, to, to paying taxes, they will immediately arrest him as a, uh, as a traitor and as an enemy of the state. And there's seemingly no way to win. You got one group that says yes, one group that says no. Uh, but let's be a little more specific. The topic isn't all taxes. Um, this is a specific tax that they have a problem with that they want Jesus to comment on. You know, listen, in that culture, just like ours, there's all kinds of different taxes that we all pay. Uh, these guys were paying different taxes in the Roman Empire. There was one tax in particular, and this is the one that they're focused on. It was called the head tax. That's why when Jesus says, is it... Is it um, should you pay taxes to Caesar? And he says, well, who, uh, when he asks for the, show me the tax money, it was a denarius. And that was, um, the head tax was a denarius, which is one day's wage in that culture. And this is a tax that you paid for the privilege of being a subject of Caesar. Now, I think sometimes, you know, we pay taxes and we just think like, hey, you know, I want police and a fire department and I want paved roads. And so you kind of like in your mind, just make peace with the fact that, you know, you're, you're, you're paying taxes. Um, but this was a tax. This was, you, you weren't getting anything for this. You were paying this for the privilege of being subjugated by Caesar. That's what you, the whole point was. Now, and I want you to think about this, and this is where the challenge was. Israel was unwillingly under Roman occupation, and they had to pay a tax that funded the army that was oppressing them. I mean, this is kind of a messed up problem. And so the ta this is the tax in question. Now, the other thing that you need to know is that about 25 years before Jesus came on the scene, there was a guy by the name of Judas the Galilean who uh, staged a revolt against the Roman Empire. And he did three things that are important for us to know. Number one, he cleansed the temple of all the money changers. Number two, his message was that they would bring usher in the kingdom of God. And number three, he told the Jews not to pay the head tax. Um, now, people believed that Judas the Galilean was the Messiah because he did these things, and he was rallying big numbers uh, to his cause until, you know, Rome killed him. And then they're like, hey, we thought you were the Messiah, but it turned out not to be the case. And, uh, and so when people looked at Jesus, like, is Jesus the Messiah? So now it, there was this other issue, and that is, okay, is Jesus the Messiah? Well, he overturned the, the money changers. He did that. He's preaching the kingdom of God. That's good. And uh, if he says no to the head tax, we might have messianic bingo, and he might be, he might be our, our, our guy. And so Jesus' response to these groups is just is beyond just clever. Jesus' response is an opportunity for us to look in the mirror and be challenged. And by the way, let me show you the, what the denarius that 
Um, this is the denarius that was, uh, they were talking about. Um, now, this side says uh, Tiberius Augustus, the son of Caesar Augustus. Now, they believed that um, Augustus was a god. So for Tiberius, his son, to now be in their, uh, to, to be the ruler is like, is the, this is now the son of the divine Tiberius. This is the son of God, according to them, that is, that they're, they're going to worship. That's why on the back, it says, you'll see here on the back of it, it says Pontifex Maximus, which is a Latin term uh, that means high priest. And so now, because this image has, it has Caesar's image on it, because of that, Jesus is saying, Caesar owns it. It's Roman money. It's given to the ruler of Rome. The money is his. So when Jesus says, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, he's like, look, all of it really belongs to him. The second thing is this, but then he says, give to God what's God's. And this is, he's saying something very profound because if the, the money belongs to Caesar because his image is on it, then what happens when the image of God is on every human being? That now every person should give to God their entire lives because they are um, created in his image. Right in Genesis 1.27, it says, so he created man in his own image and the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created him. So to give to Caesar, what Caesar's is to give him the denarius, give him the coin, the cost of the tax. What does it mean to give God what's God's? It means surrendering to God your whole self. It's surrendering your plans, your possessions, your future to him. And, and we, talk about, we talk about surrendering our lives to God. We talk about like, oh, I gave my life to Jesus. I mean, what does that mean? It means that we, um, whatever, when we get tested with the decisions we make, we get tested with the actions that we want to take. And, and there's a battle between what we want to do and ultimately what God wants. We have to decide who is going to win that battle. And I remember, um, this is years ago, um, when the iPhone 4 came out. I know they're at like 80 or something. Um, but when the iPhone 4 came out, um, I, was, I was eligible for an upgrade for my, the phone that I had. And, uh, but I thought, like, man, I, f I really want this phone. But I, I, I feel like I wanted a little too much. So I, I decided that I was going to wait 30 days just to give myself, like, this was going to be my little test of self-control and so, anyway, and I just wanted to see if I could be patient. So I waited 30 days. And then my wife and I, we drove to the Apple store in Aventura. And uh, I was, I, I, we was going to get my phone. And the whole time I was driving there, I was telling her, uh, telling my wife about my spiritual growth and maturity and uh, how I had proven that over these 30 days. So I get there. I get to the Apple store. And I'm like, hey, I'd like to pick up a new iPhone 4. And they said, I'm sorry, it's backordered for six weeks. And I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. I underwent a 30-day self-imposed uh, patience test to see that uh, I could do this because of my growth and maturity, and now my 30 days are up. So I'd like a new phone, and I would like it now. Please. And the guy was like, I don't know what to say. There's no phones to be had, and I was so upset. And then we get back in the car, and my loving wife says, um, hey, I'd, I'd love to hear more about your, the spiritual maturity that's developing. <laughs> she says, maybe you could call me, and we could talk about it. And I was like, wow. You know, I mean, just, then people wonder why I have low self-esteem. And uh, 
But you know, the political question is, who's going to be in charge of your life? And it isn't just that Jesus is the one with the answer. It's that Jesus is the answer and that we are created in his image. If we're created in his image, it means that um, he is the one that we owe everything to. You know, currency has value, especially in the country where it's, where it's readily used. I, I, I found, I was out walking the other day, I found a, a $5, uh, it's called a real, uh, it's a Saudi Arabian $5 bill, and I found it, I was so excited, and uh, I, I got home, my like, guys, you're never going to believe this, I was walking, I found this, um, you know, this Saudi Arabian uh, bill, and, uh, and they're like, oh, that's awesome, it's five, what is it worth? Is it worth like 50 U.S. or 100 U.S.? And I'm like, no, man, it's worth like not even a dollar, and they're like, no, oh, forget it, man, and they just want, like, my kids were not impressed at all, and I was like, anyway, so I, I keep it, I was going to give it to you, no, I'm keeping it, and so anyway, but this is what happens, right, this is what happens, too many people, right, here's what we'll do at times, is that we will give our lives to things and to people who don't see the value in us. You know why? Because they don't know whose image we're created in. And we will waste days and months and years. Some of us waste all this time in relationships and the other person just doesn't see the value in us. Some of us spend all this time in a career and, and, and um, the, 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 the company doesn't see the value in us and we keep thinking that the next time it's going to be and we're going to be... No, listen, sometimes it's people need to see the value in you because of whose image you're created in, that you are intrinsically created with value. And I'm telling you, if you want to have the, not only the greatest value, but joy, purpose, meaning, hope, and peace in your life, it's when we submit ourselves to God and decide that we're going to trust him because no one more than him sees the value that we have and anything and, every, anything and everything else that we give to our lives. I'm telling you, it's, it's just like trying to prove to somebody that with the foreign currency that we have that, uh, that just doesn't see the value in it. No, instead, we got to stick to the one who does see the value. Well, they strike out. Next group shows up. Look what it says in verse 23. The same day, the Sadducees, who say there was no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there was with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married and left no offspring and left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven shall she be? For they all had her. And Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But, Concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when they heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, if the first one was the political question, the second one is the supernatural question. And the question is, what does eternity look like? To unlock what's being asked, we have to know who's asking the question. And this is a group of people that were called the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were the power brokers in Israel, even though they were the smallest group of all of the religious leaders that we see in the Gospels. 
Uh, the Sadducees oversaw the temple. The high priest was a Sadducee. And most of the Jewish Supreme Court, which was called the Sanhedrin, uh, was, were Sadducees. So they controlled the temple. They controlled the sacrifices. Rome, who was in control, supported the Sadducees, which is why they had so much power. The Sadducees, theologically, only believed in the Torah. That is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that is they didn't believe in the Psalms. They didn't believe in the Old Testament prophets. They only believed in the Torah. And they, because of that, they did not believe in the resurrection, the Messiah, or the coming kingdom of God. That's why they were sad, you see. And so, and I'm sorry, I am contractually obligated to tell that joke every time I talk about the Sadducees. But they present a legitimate question to Jesus, which is a little bit of a challenge. And it's about their lack of a belief in the resurrection, eternity, or an afterlife. And it's based in this passage in Leviticus, so, or in Deuteronomy. So check out what it says. It says, if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The, firstborn, the first son she bears shall carry the name of the dead brother so that his name shall not be blotted out from Israel. And so this is called, if you want to impress your friends at lunch, uh, this is called the law of the Leverite marriage. That's technically what this is called. And so if, you know, there's two brothers and one gets married and that brother dies without having kids, the obligation of the other brother is to marry his sister-in-law. And then the first child that's born would bear the name of the deceased brother so that his lineage would continue in Israel. And so that's what's happening. And so, and if you didn't do that, by the way, there was a process to which you could get out of it, but it was, um, it was you'd have to go to the city gate, meet with the elders of the city and say that you were unwilling to fulfill your promise as a brother. And then um, you would have to remove your sandal and then you would be called, and wait for it, you'd be called the man whose sandal was removed. And listen, and, and no, those were like fighting words. And if you, back then, it'd be like, you're like a guy who says, oh, don't you dare say that. To anyway, so anyway, now I'm guessing, and this is a guess on my part, that brothers were very involved in who their siblings married because of this law. And I'm just, that's just a guess on my part, but I'm sure there were conversations that were like, hey, listen, you marry this girl, this ain't happening. Like, you, something happens to you, I'm not getting involved in that situation. You just take off my sandal right now. I'm not even doing that. And so, there's, so that's a little bit of conjecture on my part, but I believe it's 100% accurate. And, uh, but anyway, so, <laughs> now, the Sadducees, they present this very extreme case where there's seven brothers. The first brother marries this woman. He dies without having children. Second brother, anyway, and it goes on to the seventh. And then um, the woman dies, which really begs the question, like, yo, what's happening in this family? Uh, like, somebody needs to check out some environmental issues as to what's happening. Uh, anyway, so um, <laughs> maybe their house is next to like a waste treatment plant. And uh, so anyway, so then the question is, well, whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? The purpose of this idea is to make the idea of eternity or uh, the uh, resurrection or afterlife uh, look silly. And so, and to put Jesus in an awkward situation. If he agrees that the afterlife or eternity is, or, you know, is stupid, then it will alienate much of his audience. If he, um, you know, 
if he answers of the absurdity of the marriage argument, no one's going to take him seriously. Jesus brilliantly answers this question by saying that in the resurrection, in heaven, in eternity, relationships are different than, than they are on earth. Um, right now, marriage is for the multiplication of the human race. And when marriage is godly, then that husband and wife together rightly reflect who God is in a world that doesn't know him. In heaven, marriage isn't the same. Um, and, and, and by the way, and, there, and there's scholars disagree. Some be believe that marriage continues uh, in, in heaven. Uh, others believe that it, it doesn't. And um, I think it kind of depends on your marriage. Uh, honestly, I think it's kind of where people land. You know, um, you know, I'm more of the one lifetime isn't enough uh, you know, with my wife. And my wife's like, no, I just want to know there's an end to this situation and I'm ready to move on. And so I guess it kind of <laughs> depends where you're at. And so, um, but uh, Jesus answers, and this is the thing that's so brilliant. Jesus answers from Exodus 3, which is the, the, one of the five books they believed. And he answers and says, uh, when, when God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he didn't say I was. He's saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive, that eternity is real. And it's so brilliant. And there's really only two options, right? That when we talk about this, and that is that number one, eternity is real. And this life only has meaning because there's an eternity attached to it. Or two, um, and those who think themselves sophisticated and, oh, I don't want to believe in eternity or afterlife and, you know, I'm a materialist or whatever. Um, and, and so they, they, they haven't brought that belief to its logical conclusion. Uh, if there is no eternity attached to this life, then nothing matters. Nothing matters. Eventually, you're going to die. Eventually, the sun is going to burn out and everything and everyone will be forgotten. So nothing matters. Actions don't count. People don't count. Kindness is irrelevant. And it is all a waste because everything is going away. Now, as you can imagine, this existential philosophy is not very popular because it's completely hopeless. And I don't think anybody can hold to that philosophy very long without jumping off a bridge. But, um, but once again, if someone is an atheist, this is the philosophy. But to reject it or modify it is to not really say that you're an atheist. Now, maybe something else, but you're not an atheist. And, um, and this is why a lot of times atheists will want to reject God, but no, but I want to bring in purpose and meaning and love, all the things that Christianity provides, but it doesn't work that way. Jesus said the Sadducees had two fundamental problems, and that is that they didn't know the scriptures and they didn't know the power of God. That's why they were without hope. And our problems in life always end up from one of these two things. We either don't know what God has said or we underestimate what God can do. And listen, today is our day. Today's our day to hear the scriptures, believe what God can do in your life because I truly believe that greater things are coming if we trust him and that your life can take on an entirely different trajectory because uh, when you know what the Bible says and you start doing it and you trust God for a better future because you really believe that what God can do is greater than anything we can cook up for ourselves. Well, third question, because these other guys strike out. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced, literally means muzzled, uh, the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If you pause there and give me your attention. Last question is the theological question. And the theological question is how should we live? Now, there's... um, I do hear people say this all the time, like they don't think theology matters. And they'll be like, they'll say, oh, I don't care about theology. I just want to love Jesus, man. Like, okay, but just saying you're going to love Jesus, that's a theological statement. And the- just so you know this, listen, your theology will always impact how you live because theology is what you believe about God and that should impact every part of your life. Uh, it was about 10 years ago or so, we went to the Magic Kingdom as a family and we were at the Tomorrowland Speedway, if you know what I'm talking about. It's the little... It's a little track, and it has the, the you know, the kids drive, and you, they can't get too crazy because there's a little, um, it, you know, a little track there that keeps them from going totally out of hand. And so, um, so anyway, we get to there. We got a fast pass. This is back before the dark times, and they, you know, were charging all kinds of money just to ride a ride. It's like, didn't I, didn't I sacrifice my kid's college fund just to get in here? Like, yeah, but now you got to pay, you know, 75 bucks just to ride this ride. And um, this is why they don't need a Dumbo ride because we are the Dumbo being taken for a ride. We should, be, we should get to the Dumbo ride, and then at the end, it's just a mirror for us to look at ourselves. I'm like, okay, now I get it. All right, let's go home. And so, anyway, so we're getting on the ride, and the attendant, I asked the attendant, hey, can both of them drive? Now, at the time, Mia was about six, Sander was about three, and he says, yeah, that's fine, but they just need to decide who's going to go first. Well, both say they want to go first. So I'm like, hey, guys, you need to work it out. And, um, and so Mia... Uh, my uh, age six at the time, she puts her hand on Xander's shoulder and she says, Xander, you should probably go last because you know, the last shall be first. And so, and the first will be last. And so then my son Xander, age three, he says, Mia, let me tell you something. The first are first and the last are last. And I don't know where you're even getting your facts from. And then Mia says, uh, well, it's, uh, it's from the Bible because I hear mommy saying it all the time. And so Xander turns to me, and he's like, hey, Dad, is that last first thing in the Bible? And I'm like, yes. And, uh, and he says, he turns around, and he says, okay, Mia, you're right. But you're only right because Dad says you're right. And, uh, and so anyway, then um, I went first so that they could both be last. And so that's how you solve that problem. This solve is so easy. Parenting is so simple. Uh, <laughs> It's like, how do you get your kids to not eat your snacks? You tell them that they're spicy. That's, there you go. Like, that's an important fact. You know, so I, had to, I had to confess that to my kids. I'm like, guys, I want to tell you something. Um, Twinkies are not spicy. I just need to tell you that. You've been telling us that for years. I know. They used to make spicy Twinkies, but it's just the regular ones now. And um, anyway. so anyway, but now, so they see that, the Pharisees see that he had silenced the Sadducees, and they're like, wow. So then one of the Pharisees, who's a lawyer, asks a question, a great question. What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus goes where you would expect a Torah-observant Jew to go, uh, to Deuteronomy 6 and what's called the Shema. Now, the Shema is something that every Torah-observant Jew would say upon waking up, and they would say it before they would go to sleep. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. They would say that every morning. They would say it every night. But then Jesus says, and the second is like it, saying is just as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
which by the way is not something that he just like threw in an addendum. No, that's actually another passage from the Old Testament uh, from the book of Leviticus that says this, you shall not take revenge nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now there's something powerful here that we have to understand. The way that religious systems generally work is that as long as you're okay with God and you don't offend God, things are, things are good. The problem with that thinking is that I think that if we all had a conversation, we would all say that we have talked to people over the years who have said that they were religious or said they had faith or even said they were Christians, but were complete jerks. And, and there's a, we have a difficulty kind of reconciling that, like, how is it that this guy, it's like, I love Jesus, but I hate everybody else. Um, how, how does that work? And, and, and so why did they feel like it's okay to just be, uh, you know, completely hostile to everyone else, but then think that somehow you're okay with God? And it's because of a belief that it's like, no, I believe the right things and I pray the right prayers, so it doesn't matter how I treat people. Real Christianity isn't like that. Jesus is teaching that loving God should transform you into a person who cares about others. And, and, and by the way, loving your neighbor, just this, is just this is so important in the culture we live in. Loving your neighbor doesn't mean agreeing with everything they say or do. And uh, it's loving your neighbor as yourself. And guess what? You want the best for yourself. You want a better future for yourself. Sometimes the way that you get a better future for yourself is getting corrected now. So we don't keep making the same mistakes. And this is especially true in the culture that we're living because our culture believes, well, if you don't agree and approve of every choice that I make, then you hate me. And I'm sorry, that's just nonsense. Um, And here's how you can know that it's nonsense is because you don't agree with everything you do. You don't agree with everything you think or everything you say. And I know you don't hate yourself, Um, but it's just, there's just, But to say that, well, agreeing with everything, no, that's not loving them. That's conflict avoidance, and that is nowhere near what love is. The Ten Commandments operate on the same principle that Jesus is saying. Uh, The first four commandments deal with your relationship with God. The last six commandments deal with your relationships with other people. We can never extricate our relationship with God from how we treat people. And the expression of how we love God is usually found in how you and I treat others. Uh, but it isn't one or the other. It's, and by the way, it's not just, well, I'm just going to be really kind to people. No, it's, it's loving God. And we do that by loving God with all of our being. And notice how he says, this is how you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And those are all strategic statements. What that means is, Loving God with all your heart means choosing God over what your heart wants. You ever know, you ever hear people say, well, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. You know, sometimes your heart wants stupid things. And sometimes you got to just tell your heart like, hey, what you want is really dumb. So we're going to go in a different direction. Um, because your heart, as good as it might be, can't be the final authority on what you decide to do with your life. Loving God with your soul means trusting God in the area of your emotions. The word soul is the Greek word psyche, where we get the English word psychology. And this is the part that tends to drift, which is our soul, our emotions. When David was on the run from Saul, King Saul, he wrote a psalm for people who were struggling. And in it, 
he starts talking to himself. And I love this passage in uh, Psalm 42. It's up on the screen. It says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And sometimes we need to have that very moment. You got to talk to your soul and just say, hey, you need to snap out of it. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been there. I certainly have. That you've just got to kind of put yourself in check and say, I got I to gotta get back to, to what's right. Loving God with all of your mind means that we're choosing God and his ways over whatever it is that we're thinking. You know, I became a Christian um, at age 19. That was nine years ago. And uh, you laughed a little too hard at that. Just FYI. <laughs> no, I, I, um, I became a Christian at 19. That was 30 years ago. And um, I'm so grateful that I wasn't settled on a lot of issues at 19. I, I, I became a Christian. I started going to church. I started reading the Bible. And I just went with what God was saying over what I thought. And now this is the thing that I see. Sometimes people who come to faith later in life, it's a challenge, or maybe you're just incredibly stubborn. Um, but you just, you want to take what the Bible says under advisement. No, I kind of know what I'm doing. I'm just, oh, that's what it's, oh, interesting. Um, but that's not the way that it works. No, you can do that. It's a free country. But we can't say that we love God with all of our mind um, if we're going to go with whatever we think over what God has to say. It means understanding. Loving God with all your mind is I understand what God wants me to do and I'm going to do it over what I think. Because ultimately, ultimately, don't you want this year to be different? Don't you want it to be different than every other year where we start out, we, this is going to be our year and then it kind of ends up being like every other year? Isn't this the year that we decide that we're going to make the changes that are going to impact our lives, that are going to impact our family, that are going to impact our future? This is where it always begins. It begins with putting God first and realizing that he's been with us the whole time. And now is our moment that we're going to trust him. And this is why communion is the perfect way and the perfect time to start at a new year. When we make a decision that we're going to put God first in all of our ways, that we're going to give thanks because maybe the year has started well. Or maybe you're like me and 2023 has come out swinging. And... Um, but if it's gone well, then give thanks that it's gone well. And if, it's, if, if you're in my camp and it hasn't started well, then here's where we're going to give thanks. We're going to give thanks for this. It can only get better from here. And listen, because no matter what, no matter what happens, we're going to make a decision that we're going to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. Because here's the secret. We know this. That is the key to living with the maximum amount of joy. And if that's what your desire is, then this is where it starts. So I'm gonna invite the ushers to come forward. The ushers are gonna hand out the communion elements and I'm just gonna invite you to hold on to them. And um, in a minute, the band's gonna sing. And as they do, this can be your moment. For some of us, just sing, go for it. For some of us, maybe you don't sing. Maybe you need to pray. Maybe this is our, our time where we just, we talk about and we just say, God, whatever happened in 2022, I want to leave it in the past. But this is our moment for this year to be different. We want to put you, God, we want to put you first. I want to put you first.
And so this becomes our opportunity, our moment for you to do what only you can do. Listen, I believe when we pray in sincerity, God hears us and God answers and God acts. And so maybe while the band sings, you pray that prayer as you're holding on to the elements and then we'll take the elements together. still in your presence all the noise dies down Lord speak to me now there is no hesitation in your love and affection see this Lord I know my heart wants more of you my heart wants something so high surrender all so Receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cup together. And Lord, we want to thank you for the promise that you're always with us, that you're never going to leave us, you're never going to forsake us, that as this year begins, you want to do a deep work in us. You want to do a work for us and you want to do a work through us and so I pray that you would begin that work even right now and that this year that our lives would be different because of the work that was began because of decisions that were made commitments that were decided in these moments so Lord I pray that you would do your work we prayed in Jesus name and everybody said amen Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. 
You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.